Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The phrase, I'm so good with children, gets uttered a lot. I am abnormally good with children. Glennis McNichol is someone you want to hand a baby to. Oh my God, since I was 10, I was the number on the fridge that everyone fought over to book as the babysitter. I used to have a regular gig for six children under the age of 10. You'd watch all six at once? Oh yeah, six kids under the age of 10 are the easiest to watch because they're used to the limited amount of attention. So really, you just have to make sure the baby and the two-year-old are like not crawling into the oven and the other ones are pretty okay. Her whole life, Glennis has had this special something with kids, which is probably why so many of them are in her life. Glennis does school pickups and naptime wake-ups. She attends birthdays, sports events, and reads kids' bedtime stories over FaceTime. She's the emergency contact on summer camp forms, and her fridge is covered with school photo magnets stuck to kid artwork, mostly drawings of her brown curly hair. And I love it. I mean, I I definitely love it, but I'd say that I'm the one having it all, right? Because I get all this and the level of my responsibility on me is, you know, not anywhere close to what it is on a parent. Because none of these kids are her own. She's not a mom. To them, she's Auntie Glennis, except for the one kid who calls her uncle. He picked that up as a two-year-old and now hasn't stopped it. So, yeah, I love it. How often do you see kids, hang out with them? Every day. (laughs) Really? What did you do with the kid today? Uh, When I took out the garbage this morning, my godson who lives downstairs was walking down the porch with me naked. (laughs) (laughs) This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and Glennis McNichol is our guest today. She's a writer in New York City. She just wrote this memoir called No One Tells You This. It's making all these best of summer reading lists, and it explores this question. Where's the blueprint for what a woman's life can look like without a long-term relationship and without having kids? According to the U.S. Census, there are more single people today than at any other time in history. And Glennis is one of those people. And as someone who loves kids, she recently decided it was time to figure out if she was happy without having any of her own, especially as she approached her 40th birthday. The lead up to my 40th birthday, it sort of caught me a little bit in the last minute. I was feeling very, this sort of last minute panic and dread as if I was going to turn 40 wake up the next morning, be shriveled, 
dumb, lacking in all potential. There's no possibility left. Like it was just going to be the end. I could not see any future past it. On the night of her birthday, Glennis was finishing up work in her office in downtown Manhattan. Her friends were texting. There's still time. Party? Glennis texted back. No party. That night, a party would have felt like a delay tactic, steering her away from what she needed to face. I just thought, well, if the world is determined for me to be alone for the rest of my life, because I'll clearly not be attractive to anybody from here on out, I'm just going to be alone, alone. And I took, I decided to rent a hotel room in the Rockaways, go to the ocean, do like a mini inner New York road trip. While her friends kept texting, Glennis took the hour-long subway ride and then walked towards the beach to her motel. It was the end of the season, and she passed an empty Chinese restaurant with the waitstaff all standing outside, smoking, eyeing Glennis as she walked by them alone. I was like, oh, I think this is the theme of Psycho, except I haven't robbed anyone, <laughs> and I am not, like, racing to my, uh, my married lover anywhere. I was just by myself, but I really thought, like, women have been conditioned to be scared to be in places alone by all the narratives we have around women are either on the run or being chased. And so I just kind of checked in and I was like, oh, this is the thing where if it goes badly, I'll be on the front page of the New York Post tomorrow and it'll be like the opening of a Law & Order episode, like boom, boom. These are the narratives we're used to hearing when a story begins with an unmarried woman. It's either that or maybe we expect her to meet someone, to fall in love. Glennis headed to the motel bar where she sat down at a table by herself grabbed an empanada, ordered a gin and tonic. I wanted to feel like I was not being chased by the things that had I'd felt were chasing me down in my late 30s. This, like, the fear that you might always be the lone, the fear that something, that there was something wrong with you if you weren't, you know, married with children or whatever it is. I just wanted to turn around and look all of those things in the face and be like, hmm. Around midnight, Glennis walked to the beach and out there by herself to the little boats with their lights glowing in the distance, Glennis said it out loud. I might always be alone. Waves crashed in the distance, and she laughed, thought, I'm done feeling bad. She shouted at the ocean, I can do whatever I want. The history of women is not a history of women, any women, wealthy or otherwise, being able to say, I can do what I want. And that is, that can if we're not careful, sound spoiled, but I was really aware of, I was getting the opportunity that few women have had over the course of time, and I wanted to be fully conscious of that. But if not a horror thriller or a romantic comedy, then what? Over the age of 40, what story do we have? And and even to put more emphasis on that, what stories do we have about women in general that don't end with marriage or a baby? I mean, quite literally, I can think of one movie. It's called An Unmarried Woman with Jill Clayburg. I think it came out in 1979. It was a Paul Mazursky movie. And in it, she's married with a teenager, and she's like 36 in the movie, which gives you a sense of how we thought about age and women in the 70s. She gets divorced, and it ends with her not turning down the man she falls in love with to have a life on her own. That's literally it. I don't know. What else can you think of? I'm always asking people. I was stumped, so I asked my friends online, can you guys think of a TV show or movie where the female lead doesn't end up dead or married, where she's just alone? There is a flurry of comments that I'm going to share here, and please keep in mind that because we're talking about endings, there are a ton of spoilers coming. 
a lot of commenters made me wish I'd been more specific in my criteria. I heard, what about Dorothy, Powerpuff Girls, Lady Bird, Disney's Moana, Elsa and Frozen. Okay, guys, those are all children and teenagers. It's not some brave feat from the movie studios to leave them single. It would actually be pretty creepy if Powerpuff Girls ended in a big group wedding. A lot of people suggested shows like Broad City, Insecure, Jessica Jones, Glow. But these shows aren't over yet. You can be a show that celebrates the experience of being a single woman and still end in monogamy. Take Kathy from the comic strip, she marries Irving. Liz Lemon from 30 Rock settles down. Most of the cast in Sex and the City, except for Samantha, depending upon whether or not you count the movies. The loudest voices on my Facebook page were like, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, Buffy, Clarice in Silence of the Lambs, Terminator, Alien. Then another commenter, uh, also Aliens. Then another commenter, what about Alien Resurrection? Guys, these female characters are working so hard not to be killed, or I guess eaten by aliens, <laughs> that there's zero room for contemplating whether or not they're going to be alone forever. Someone said, what about Harold and Maude? Nope, they fall in love, and she dies. Fried Green Tomatoes, where everyone is married. Plus, there's a secret lesbian subplot. Closer to our criteria are stories of women who either became or remained single moms at the end. There's Erin Brockovich, Murphy Brown, and Hannah Horvath and Girls. Examples that fit closest to Glennis' story, the single-without-kids narrative, were famous for being twist endings, for being bold, like My Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts and the wonderful Mary Tyler Moore Show. Which means sitting on that beach and deciding it is okay to be alone at 40. Kind of feels like the end to Glennis' story. But this is actually where her memoir begins. Of course, it's totally the start. Are you kidding? That is, I mean, it's a couple of people read it and they're like, well, where do you go from here? A couple of people read that and their thing was like, I feel like the story is tied up here just when my 40th birthday is over. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to show you how it's not. Glennis turned 40, didn't shrivel up and die or get stabbed in a shower. I woke up on my 40th birthday and I was like feeling a little bit like I'd won the lottery. She grabbed a book and a towel and headed to the beach. In her memoir, she wrote, I felt like Dorothy opening the door into Oz. Everything was suddenly technicolor. I'd killed the witch, let the adventure begin. Or was I the witch now? It was like I was suddenly untethered by all of, from all of those anxieties and that internal clock I think women are on basically from the time they hit puberty. And it was all just gone. It all just sort of evaporated. And it was this wild, wonderful, strange experience, which I've since talked to other women and they've had similar ones, but it was definitely unexpected. So how does it feel to move through the world as a single childless woman? What do you, what is that... What does it I'm feel just like? I'm going to say right now that possibly listeners out there are going to have an issue with childless versus child free because I come up against it sometimes in readings. I have, I have zero feelings about either of those words, but there are women mm. who've expressed to me that they don't like childless. The New York Times asked me to switch it to child free when I was writing an article, and I said, yeah. sure. And I was typing the email back as like, Two of my nephews were on my lap and I was reaching around them. I'm like, I'm not exactly free of children right now. <laughs> but 
Okay, so I say childless when talking about my own situation because I hope to be a parent someday. But for a lot of women, they're child-free. They don't want that. Part of that tension around Glennis turning 40 is this question. Is it time to panic, you know, and break down the doors to a fertility clinic? She was pretty sure she'd be okay with not being a mom. But she still wanted to put herself to the test, be 100% sure before she committed to a child-free life. In a bit, an epic showdown with an infant. Stay with us. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. We're back with writer Glennis McNichol, who just wrote this incredible memoir, No One Tells You This. Of course, her niece had another idea for a title. My niece wanted me to call the book about an ant. That was when we were going through titles. That was her suggestion. And I thought that that was a really lovely summation of me. Here's Glennis reading an excerpt from her memoir when she goes home to help her sister with the new baby. So this is from that chapter. There were lots of ways to have children, though many of them enormously expensive or largely out of reach for a single woman of modest means. But if I wanted to give birth to one, even just a little bit, I needed to own up to that now. Look it straight in the face, so to speak, which is exactly what I did. I uncrossed my legs and raised my knees and gently adjusted Connor so that he was reclined against them and facing me. And then I stared. I stared directly into the face of what I had been told my whole life was the thing that would define it and give it meaning. Did I want this? I stared and stared, inhaling the babiness of him. I stroked the curve of his cheek. I slipped my little finger in his hand and let him grasp it in his sleep. I made myself think only of all the good things. And then for the first time, I thought of the parts of me the children I wasn't having might be missing out on. All the things I could pass it on to a child. I had been the recipient of all my mother's great knowledge. Where would that go? There was also the thing I kept coming back to over and over— a baby was a clear fat path forward. If I went home and got pregnant, an entire infrastructure would materialize around my life. I would be seen. Even if I was alone, I would never be alone. I'd be a mother. I could hear the arguments in my head, the return of the magazine voices. You're going to regret this in 10 years. You don't know what you're missing. Of course I might regret it. I knew that. There was an endless number of things in my life I might end up regretting. Some I already did. But it seemed to me that going through life making decisions what I might possibly feel in a future that may or may not come about was a bad way to live. 
I wasn't going to have a baby as an insurance policy against some future remorse I couldn't yet imagine. I had more respect for myself than that. The truth was, no one knows what they're missing in the end. You can only live your own life and do your best with the outcome when you roll the dice. I looked down at Connor again. He had gripped my finger in his sleep. Where the fuck was that biological alarm that was supposed to be going off? <laughs> I haven't read this since I've written it, so that's... <laughs> uh, that was what I did. I went home and I was like, "Where the, everyone talks about the biological alarm clock that's supposed to be ringing. And I was like, let's just like set the dynamite and wait. I'm staring at this adorable child who adores me and I'm in this like quiet room rocking him. And no, it just nothing. It kept not happening. I think I say somewhere, the only thing that kept, because that was a whole week or 10 days that I did that. And I think the only thing that kept happening was I kept thinking about the life I'd built for myself and how much I valued it, which I think up until that point, I was thinking about my life as something that had happened to me. And it was during those two weeks of really interrogating myself about, did I want to have a baby that I began to value the life I'd built for myself as something I'd created on purpose, that's something I'd chosen. And, and, and that was the alarm clock that went off. I was like, oh, I, I really, I'm choosing my life. I like my life. It's, my life didn't happen to me. I very carefully created it. When Glennis returned to New York, she was going back to her apartment in Brooklyn, where she doesn't exactly live alone. I live on the top floor of a house owned by my oldest friend in New York, her husband, and they now have two children. It's almost like the updated version of the spinster aunt in the attic. It's this top floor apartment with these vaulted ceilings and skylights. And and so I live on the top floor and I joke with my, it's funny because my goddaughter said to me, they have a they have a one and a half year old now. And she said to me, I no longer sleep directly beneath you because when I moved in, her bedroom was directly below my bed. And we used to joke it was bunk beds and that she shouldn't be scared because the monsters would have to come through me to get to her. It is like a sitcom. Like, I come through the door. <laughs> like, oh, yes, I'd like something to eat. I'm still in my pajamas. Let me wander downstairs. Or sometimes my goddaughter comes upstairs. I'll be like in the bathtub and she just sort of like comes wandering in to talk to me about something or show me something. Or I like lean out the window. I'm sitting at my desk and they have a above ground pool in the backyard and I'll lean out and just be like, what's going on down there? Stop trying to drown the child. <laughs> Her friend downstairs, Maddie, is Glennis's oldest friend in New York. They'd met 48 hours after Glennis moved to the city at a coffee shop in Soho where they both worked. Yeah, very sitcom-y. Glennis was 23, Maddie was 21. And over the years, they bonded in a way you can only do with someone you wait tables with and live with. When neither of you have financial support from your parents or another Thanksgiving to go to. So when Maddie moved out, got married, had kids... That could have disrupted a very important friendship. But instead, Glennis moved in and became the person who could watch a baby monitor or help put a kid to sleep. She's filling the role that living near a parent could play. But sub in your best friend. So we live together very easily. We're very familiar with each other's likes and dislikes and boundaries. And we still like share clothes or like as I left the house today I stopped and opened the door and was like how do we feel about this dress before I walked out or you know like it's a it's very ideal it's like you it's almost made up but I'm fully aware of that but sometimes Glenna still feels what she describes as a husband-shaped hole in her life she'll look at the dishes left in the sink the bottle of wine she forgot to buy the bills that need to be paid and remember that there's no one else around to help her pick up the slack 
She's always been the good friend, the good sister, the good daughter, throwing baby showers and birthday parties without anyone else there to grab her by the shoulders and say, I've got this. A lot of the roles I was playing of support were supporting roles, but I was playing a number of them at the same time. And that, when that becomes your entire life, it, it's overwhelming because I was playing that role like four, four times at the same time. And so it's my whole life as a supporting role. Sometimes she felt like the sole doctor on call in a trauma unit, doing everyone else's emotional lifting while she was the only person responsible for her own. It was never her baby or her husband or her pregnancy. It was never her story. Who is the protagonist of the sitcom? Is it Glynis? We would see it as the mother. Absolutely. Then I would be the guest star that peeks in from upstairs. But all I tried to do with this book was shift the point of view from to upstairs, from downstairs, essentially. Or, you know, from... I'm never made to feel like the guest star. I think that speaks well of my friends. And she's definitely not a guest star to the kids in her life. My very close friend who lives downstairs has one of those cargo bikes that fits the two kids on it. And she was biking them up that really steep hill in Brooklyn from like 9th Street up to Prospect Park, which is like climbing a mountain. And halfway up, my goddaughter, who's like seven or eight, said to her, you know, mom, you don't have to have children if you're a woman. Like it was just her realization. (laughs) And my friend was like, yes, I am aware of that. And to her seven-year-old niece. I don't think it was career day, but somehow it came up in her first grade class, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to move to New York City and live by myself and be a writer. And I just like that I am providing some alternative version of what life might like. I make these things accessible in ways that they weren't accessible to me as a kid and that I desperately missed. I mean, there's a reason I was so dependent on stories. I didn't see any real-life version or even any people I knew touching places in the world that I wanted to know existed. So I like to emphasize, like, it's possible to play important roles in the lives of children without being a parent. In addition to the kids who live downstairs, there's her sister's three kids, one who she FaceTimed with from her bike before our interview. There's the three-and-a-half-year-old child of her business partner, Rachel, and a goddaughter in L.A. So only sort of joke about this because it's not really funny. Like, I am written into a number of wills as the person who gets the kids. <laughs> and God forbid some— How many kids are you, are you signed I, up for? I think like five or six at this point. <laughs> like, God forbid something happened to more than one person at the same time. It would be like eight is enough starring Glynis the single mother. Like, I just—I would be okay with that. I would, I would, my life, I say this somewhere in the book, like I would be okay with all those kids. I would enjoy it. It would be okay if it happened. No, it wouldn't be okay because it would be terrible and tragic. But like, I didn't go through my 30s being like, I don't want to have children or I'm not sure I want to have children. It was more like, if I have, I assume I'm probably going to have kids and I'll be okay with it until it came down to me having to look it in the face and say, I am not in a relationship. Do I want to have a children a child badly enough to pursue this on my own? And the answer is no. Glennis makes a compelling case that she really has it all. The kids, the chosen family, without giving up her autonomy, without the crushing responsibility. Could someone, like, I don't know, a certain 30-something lady considering becoming a single mom, be convinced to follow her path? Don't go away. <laughs> Advertisement! 
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back. I'm here with Glennis McNichol, who, to be honest, is freaking me out a little. It was hard not to look across the table at her and wonder if that could be me in 10 years. If my friends could just hurry up and procreate, make some cool kids for me to hang out with, if I could just find the right apartment upstairs from them. The biggest difference between me and Glennis is that I'm not ready to give up on my vision of having this immediate family someday. When I think about not having that, there's this image that comes to mind of drifting away on my own lonely iceberg. I heard a similar sentiment from a child-free listener, Shelly in Arizona, who emailed us to say that she started to feel like she was floating away when her friends all started having kids and leaving her out of mom club. At the same time, I found Glennis's argument really convincing, that having a kid shouldn't be your insurance policy against that iceberg fate. A couple of people said that to me as if just by being a child, you would be that child. Like, as if every person in the world by having children is guaranteeing that their child is going to show up at their bedside and want to take care of them, as if those relationships don't have to be, like, fostered. <laughs> There's plenty of children who do not do that. But... <laughs> But do you worry? I give okay. every child in my life so much chocolate, and I say, <laughs> I want you to remember this when I'm old and in the nursing okay, home. Okay, so you do. You are thinking I joke, about this. I joke. I joke. Okay. Listen, who knows? What I mean, yeah, I just, I don't think like that. I don't know. It seems like a terrible way to think. It's just, I have these relationships because they mean something to me. Do I think, I hope I live my life in a way that results in people wanting to make sure I'm okay. I don't think that a blood relation or having a child guarantees that any more than just by being a good person. Her iceberg insurance policy isn't a kid. It's her friendships. I can't tell you how many times she mentioned a different best friend in her book. And every time another friend was introduced, I'd look up from my reading like, how many are there? It's difficult to talk about that without sounding like a real jerk because I've been asked in a number of readings by younger women and women my own age, like, how do I make friends like the ones you have? And one of the answers to this question is I just have a knack for friendship. Some people have perfect pitch. Some people have twenty twenty vision. I just, I have a facility for friendship and I'm, I'm aware of it and I'm grateful for it. Glennis isn't just good at friends. She actually works really hard to keep them around long term. Like, your friendships are not an accident. Who you, they're an accident in the sense of, like, I'm so glad that I walked into that coffee shop and met these two people 48 hours after arriving in New York. But the fact I'm still friends with them 20 years later is not because I walked into that coffee shop. It's because I chose to keep them in my life. (laughs) And they chose to keep me in their life. Huh. I'm... (laughs) I feel Um, like I'm stressing you out. No, I'm feeling really (laughs) emotional. (laughs) Because I'm picturing, you know, I have close friends. Uh So I'm exactly 10 years younger than you. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess I thought I had to replace them with a partner. And I and when that partner hasn't shown up, what if I started treating these friends like the main event? Please. The years of 33 to 35 that all of my friendships survived those years is like, that, that was, those were tough years. They were tough. No, but I just, I would like to treat my friends. I came around to that. that level of intimacy yes. that, is, that is as significant as a relationship. Yeah. And I, I probably treat them as... You guys are satisfying me for now yeah. until I find a more important relationship. For now, I think, you know, there was a very difficult period of time where a lot of people I was close to got married and began setting up those lives. And I felt very cast off and resentful and angry. And our friendships survived that. They held on to me. I held on to them. I also made different circles of friends. There's an entire circle of friends I have from that time period where I felt like I didn't have anyone to rely on. And I just, I created an entirely new circle of friends as like a safety net. (laughs) I don't think I realized I was doing it, but it was really, really difficult. So the fact that we've come around has a lot to do. And I've now experienced this a number of times, which is I think once women have been in their marriage or relationship with their significant other or their partner for a couple of years, and maybe have had some kids and come out they get lonely too. And suddenly I have experienced the moment of like, I miss you so much. I'm so lonely. And it's like, oh, you want me back. Glennis loves repeating the stat that women couldn't take out credit cards in our own names until 1974. That's part of why narratives around a woman's agency can feel so new and why it still comes with a tinge of embarrassment. Things like asking a guy out, women taking herself out to dinner, or buying her own expensive cookware. I'm working on that change in my life, less waiting for a prince, more yelling at the ocean. But talking to Glennis makes me want to apply more agency to all of my relationships. It's, it's None of these things just happened accidentally. You don't have a 20-year friendship with someone you're still living upstairs from who cooks you dinner by accident. <laughs> you know, like that's not... The same way you, you're not have a 20-year marriage with someone by accident. I mean, I show up in the most physical sense. I go to, I go downstairs. I find out what happened that day. I FaceTime. I make sure, you know, so to send, I try not to send, I don't like giving silly gifts, but like I like to make sure that they have in their lives the things I valued as a child and make sure that they know every child in my life knows that I only like chocolate. Like I just like to make sure there are, you know, I'm a presence and I think that's a choice. I could very easily still have my friendships and not be a presence. I could show up at Christmas and Easter and be like, oh, the, you know, my aunt and uncle's who I, who I love, but lived a great distance from us growing up and didn't travel that much because they all had their own families. Like, I think those are choices you make. It's not an accident. Since her memoir came out, Glennis has had to do a lot of defending her choices. One of the most constant criticisms has come from women who are child-free and wish Glennis had been more clear that you don't have to have children in your life to have a valuable life, which she 100% agrees with. It's just that Glennis has always been a kid person. I choose to have those children in my life. They haven't been thrust upon me. And I think the role I play is really important. And the other criticisms come from those who don't believe she's actually happy. Once she was out to a group dinner with a famous older male writer. She told him the plot of her memoir, 
about the beach and the baby nephew and all the cool kids she gets to hang out with. He leaned back in his chair and declared, Glennis McNichol, you have a terrible life. He turned to her friends and said, do you know how terrible this woman's life is? She's all by herself. But I believe another narrative. Glennis McNichol is truly enjoying herself. And I can see a world where this great memoir is optioned, where we finally get to see more movies, where single, child-free women don't die or fall in love, where their story is enough. We want to hear from you. How have you brought kids into your life that aren't your own? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 172. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Ray Gamurthy, and Julia Wang. Next week on the show... We got engaged because of the longest, shortest time. We're getting married because of the longest, shortest time. Jackie and I are going to share some favorite emails and stories that have come in lately from you guys. It's a mailbag show. Do not miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest, Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest, Shortest Time, we want to hear from moms getting involved in politics, running for office, Tell us what you're up to. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. Stitcher. I say it. Okay. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.